you're following along in your order of worship this morning, this would be sermon number three. So we uh, are grateful that you are here, and especially if you are a guest, and we thank you for your attendance this morning. As we always try to tie the message in uh, with what you've been hearing about all weekend. Number one, just to sort of cap off everything that the ladies have heard. Number two, bring all the gentlemen up to speed on what they've heard. Now, I will put this caveat in there. I am no Sam Corcoran, okay? You guys were blessed, and I know your uh, uh, cup was filled to overflowing by the speakers, all of them, uh, and uh, the entertainment and the, just the joy and the fellowship. And so we are uh, uh, just so happy that that was a blessing to you as we think about Esther's story this morning, I know you've been thinking about it most of this weekend, or some of you have, but I want you to think also about your story and how God might use that. Julie Alban had the world in her hand. She was a bright, young, intelligent, a beautiful 26-year-old girl. Uh, she was going to school. She was the daughter of a successful neurosurgeon. She had a a boyfriend uh, who she loved very much. His name was Brad. He was the quintessential boy next door. He was uh, the male counterpart to everything that Julie was. He was good-looking and intelligent, and everyone loved him. It it seemed as though her story was in a perfect place, uh, that life had nowhere to go but up. That began to change as her boyfriend Brad began to change, she noticed that he began being more and more possessive and jealous of her. Uh, It really got to a point where he began to even be abusive toward her, and this concerned her greatly, and she couldn't really seem to convince anyone around her that Brad was this way toward her when he was so beloved by everyone else. The more abusive he got, the more she realized this was not man she wanted to spend the rest of her life with. And and she tried to break off their relationship gracefully, and that did not go over very well. Her boyfriend, Brad, who was overcome with jealousy and had taken a bunch of Valium, in a jealous rage, came into her home and shot Julie. Now, she survived, but the bullet penetrated her spine, and she was paralyzed from the waist down. She recalled going to the hospital and being in the, in the emergency room and, and hearing the doctors say that she would, in all likelihood, never walk again. The second part of that story is that Brad, uh, Brad tried to take his own life after he tried to take Julie's. He failed in that as he was in the emergency room. The doctors were working on him as well, and they were able to save his life. And Julie said, I'll never recall being as mad and as furious as I was that Brad was going to walk out of that hospital, and I would never do that. She said, I was furious, I was angry, I was bitter. Why had this happened to me? Why had God put me in this place But Julie didn't become a victim. 
She began to change her thinking. And even though she went from young and vibrant and healthy and active to a a girl who struggled just to complete the physical therapy, she became determined more than ever that she was going to use her position to advocate for other women. And that's exactly what she did. Julie would never walk again, but she would complete law school. She would go on to become an attorney and prosecute those who had committed acts of domestic violence like Julie had been the victim of. Julie was determined to use her position and her story to give women hope who were in a similar position. She courageously used her position where it was to advocate for other battered and abused women. She went on to do great things, though she would never have written the story that way. God used her position for a purpose. Now, as you think about Julie's story, and certainly no doubt you thought about Esther's story, and we're going to talk about Esther's story this morning. If you're following along in your Bible, you're going to turn to Esther, the book, uh, chapter 4 in the book of Esther. If you don't know exactly where that is, if you have a pew Bible, just turn to page 520. 520, we're going to look at, and, and I would love to go through the entire text, and while I would love that, you would not love that, because you wouldn't get out of here till 3 o'clock. But we're going to kind of center on this centerpiece verse, and this back and forth between Esther and Mordecai, and the lessons that Esther had to learn, and the lessons that we might learn as well. We're in chapter 4 now, reading verses 10 through 12. I'm sorry, 10 and 11. Then Esther spoke to Hatak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes outside, I'm sorry, uh, any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come in to the king in these last 30 days. See, Mordecai asked Esther to use her position and to go to King Xerxes and let him know what was happening. But there was a risk, as has already been said, there was a risk to Esther not just to, pers- to her position, but to her physical livelihood. I mean, if you understand what had happened earlier in the book of Esther with Queen Vashti, I mean, there was a great consequence for her being bold. Esther feared how the king might react to such audacity. Esther, you see, feared the consequences of her boldness. Going to the king unsolicited, unsummoned, was a huge risk. As has already been said, uh, she could literally have lost her head over this act. It was risky to her position. It was risky to her physically to be so bold before a king. But boldness is exactly what was required. And boldness is what is necessary as if we intend for God to use us, we must at some point decide to be bold. 
Now, boldness is risky, but, but let me just ask you this question. When in the story of any of God's people, be it with Esther or any of the people of the pages of this book or with you, when did God ever call you to a life of comfort and ease and just, just nice, easy going? No, God never sang to us the siren song of comfort and ease and security. Ah, he, he, he promises that if we go with him, we'll be going the right way. But that right way does not always mean it's easy. Can you think of, of a single hero in God's story? Wasn't it Abraham who was called to leave his homeland to go to a place where he would be referred to as an alien, where he would be unknown, where people wouldn't know his story, wouldn't know his background, wouldn't know his history? What about Joseph? But Joseph was called by God, and Joseph was destined to do great thing. But things, did that mean that he would avoid the pit? Or did that mean he would avoid going to prison? Did that mean he would avoid chastisement in, even from his own family? Did that mean he would have, not have a time of separation from his family? No. God called Joseph, and that meant hard things. Moses had to leave being a child of royalty. Moses had to leave being raised in an Egyptian household as a son of royalty and go to identify with his people, the slaves of Egypt. Daniel and his friends were called to stand when everyone else was bowing. Yeah, there are times when you got to show up, when you got to stand up, when you got to speak up, when you got to stand out and be bold because God's called you for a purpose. You've probably heard the phrase, fortune favors the bold. Well, let's rework that a little bit and think about this. The Father favors the bold. There is no person that God has used that at some point they didn't have to step out in boldness and faith and do what God had called them to do. But to do that meant they have to leave the security of where they were to pursue to where God had called them. That requires great boldness. The Proverbs tell us, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1, if you're following along in your Bible. The wicked flee. When no one pursue, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. A lion doesn't fear where he's going. He, he steps with boldness and authority. He's the king. We step with boldness and authority not because we're the king, but because we serve the king. Now let's go back to the text. Esther chapter 4, page 520. We're at verse 12 now. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? And who knows? but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You see, while Esther feared the consequences of her boldness, Mordecai feared the consequences of her silence. Mordecai reminds her 
that the cost of doing something is always less than the cost of doing nothing. There are people in life who are the, the aim folks. You know, when it comes time to, to live their life, they're ready, they aim, and 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 they never pull the trigger. Mordecai is saying, Esther, at some point you got to pull the trigger, sister. At some point, you got to move. At some point, you got to execute. Yes, it's risky. Yes, it could be difficult. Yes, it might mean great risk to you. But why are you here? Why are you in the position you're in? We might think, what might happen if I do this? Well, what might happen if I start that business? What might happen if I, if I write that blog? What might happen if I step out on faith? And Mordecai... The spirit of Mordecai might whisper, what might happen if you don't? You know, the number one comment that people in the healthcare field that work with those who are probably toward the last five years of their life, the number one thing they hear their patients say near the end of life is not all of the regrets over the things they'd done. It was all the regrets over the things that they had not done the opportunities that they passed by the moments that they squandered in fear the time when they had the opportunity to stand up to speak up to show up and they let it pass by and Mordecai's not stupid he says listen listen if God if God can raise up you he can raise up someone else and if he raises up you in this position for this time hey and you don't pass the test you don't pull the trigger you need to know that God can raise up someone else. So why not you? Why not you in the story? Now, if you're smart, if you're paying attention, if you listen to the speakers this weekend, you realize something that's probably been mentioned several times, and the fact that God was not ever mentioned in the story in the book of Esther. That's one of the cool things about it. But don't misunderstand. I mean, you cannot read the whole story of Esther and clearly not see the work of God. Just because God is silent does not mean that God's not working. And we may think, well, I wish I could hear the voice of God. I wish I could just get a, a sign. You know how many people within the own text of the Bible wish the very same thing? And maybe we need to pay attention in different ways to how God is working. You think it's an accident that you're here this morning? You think it's an accident that you're at a conference this weekend? You think it's an accident that you are where you are in your life? God has you here for a purpose and for a reason and for a calling God works even when we don't see him, but it's up to us whether we're going to let him work through us. You see, that's the thing he won't force. He's not going to force any of you or I to let him. You, we have to choose to let God use us as an instrument of his word and his work in our lives. God brought Esther to her royal position, but Esther had to decide whether to be used for his holy purpose. 
You think, well, that's a great lesson for royalty. But, I, you know, you'll excuse me, Mr. Preacher. I am not a, in a position of privilege and royalty. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Wait just a second. Why does God have you where you are? You ever think about that? That maybe God has you living in the place where you're living to make an impact on the neighbors who are right next to you. Maybe God has you in the marriage you're in to impact the spouse. Maybe God has you raising the children you're raising because those children are designed by God's plan to bring about revival in the church and restoration in the world. And your job is to raise them to know Christ and to grow in Christ. I watch young moms walking in and out of here. And, you know, they got those young children. And thank you so much for bringing those young children. I know you have a choice every single time you come whether to do battle or to not but you are involved in God's holy purpose why does God have you working where you're working are you there to make an impact are you there to change the culture are you there to maybe be some salt and light God has everyone where you are for a reason for a time and a purpose you're positioned for a purpose and let me just say this that someone somewhere is depending on you to let God work out his purpose. This would be the moment of the sermon where the Toby addresses the teens in an awkward yet consistent way. <laughs> Do you ever consider that God has your locker exactly where it is for a reason? I, I know you, you thought at the beginning of the school year that when you went to your locker, you thought, I don't know the person next to me, but maybe God has positioned you right there for such a time as this. There's a kid, there's a kid who's struggling, not even sure if life is worth living, not even sure if life is worth carrying on, and God put that kid next to your locker because they knew that you you could share God's love, that you could be the light of Christ in their life, that you, you see, sometimes we think being in for such a time as this, as a position of royalty, and this for somewhere later on in life. No, God is using you right now. So may we not suffer the consequences of being silent. God has you are where you are, when you are, for a reason. Let's go back to the text, Esther chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I, my attendants, will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, and even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Esther does two beautiful things here, and we, we shouldn't miss what she does. She prays. She not only prays herself, but she encourages others to gather around her and fast and pray. She she, you know what she was doing here? She was seeking a higher authority. Uh, you understand that if you have grandkids, you know. Mom and dad say, no. No, we can't have that candy. No. Mom and dad say, bedtime is this time. <laughs> what do grandkids do? 
they seek a higher authority. <laughs> my my in-laws were over yesterday, and you know they come in the house, and the kids are going around them, and the dog's excited to see them. Why? Because they know there's a higher authority in the house than Mr. Grumpy Grumps there. This is exactly what Esther beautifully and boldly is doing. She's saying, I'm going to the king. I'm so worried about going to the king. You know what the king could do to me? The only way she can see out of this situation is she goes to a higher king. She goes to a higher place of royalty. She enters heaven's throne room. And she not only does this herself, she calls all of her attendants. She calls all of the Israelites to join and fast and pray and supplicate on her behalf. This was a focused, purposeful position. Now, now we know the Psalm chapter 27, verse 14. The Psalm says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. Now, I was picking on the aimers, you know, and, and, and probably because it becomes a, my tendency, my personal tendency is to go ready, fire, aim, right? There is a place for people who know, knew how to aim. And I love how Esther in this moment is waiting for the Lord. But notice, the waiting is not a place of permanency. Esther is waiting on the Lord. She's seeking a higher authority, but then she knows at some point she knows she's got to move. Now, why does she do this? Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels toward all who please him. Isn't that beautiful? In the Lord's hand is the king's heart. Next time you need someone who's higher than you to make a decision and you don't know how to get them to do that and it's the right thing, you're not doing it in a manipulative, selfish way, seek the Lord's hand because in his hand he turns the king's heart. That could be a boss. That could be a husband. That could be a a friend. That could be someone in leadership. But in God's hands is the king's heart. And he can turn it like streams of water. But then the second thing she does is she proceeds, right? You can imagine Esther, if you will, praying and praying and praying and and fasting and praying and praying and praying. But at some point, Esther, like all of us, have to rise from prayer and get to work. At some point... We have to stop saying, I was waiting on the Lord. I was waiting on the Lord. I was waiting on the Lord. Well, that's good. But maybe there comes a point where the Lord is waiting on you. And maybe you prayed about it. Maybe you've even fasted over it. And maybe you've thought through it and analyzed it and aimed for it. And at some point, you've got to move with boldness and with courage and with trust. May we pray and act. May we pray and act. And proceed. May we do both like Esther did. How can we do this? Second Corinthians chapter 3 verse 12. The apostle Paul writing to a church. And it certainly had its share of struggles. He said therefore. Second Corinthians 3 12. Since we have such hope. We are very bold. And she proceeds with courage. I love what she says. If I perish. I perish. She understood that sometimes there are things that are worse than death. 
Maybe, maybe the thing most worse than death, in addition to the reality of hell, the thing worse than death is not having lived how God called you to live. We've heard Julie's story. We've read through Esther's story, but, but what about your story? I want to challenge you this morning. May you be bold and courageous. Seeking God requires both boldness and courage. Second Timothy, Paul writes to his young protege, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. I realize it's not in the text of Esther, but what he said to Timothy is just as true for us today. For this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. There's a reason, if you were baptized into Christ, that you have his spirit. It's part of God himself, the Holy Spirit within you. And he's there for a reason, to give you power and boldness and courage no matter what you face. Wherever you are in your story, may you let your story be his story. May you let your story be all intertwined in what God is doing and how God is acting. And may 100, 200, 300 years ago, we tell the story of you and how you let God use you for his holy purposes. You see, that's great, preacher. That sounds like a fine message for someone like Esther. For someone who it worked out for. But, but see, you don't know me. I'm not even from here. You don't know what I've been through and you don't know what I've done. In fact, very few people know what I've done. And if you knew what I've done and he certainly knows what I've done, then I have nothing to do but sit down and cower and beg God for mercy and not do a thing with my life. How dare I think God could use a wounded vessel like me? And if that's your attitude, I beg you to listen up. You need to hear the story of Abby Johnson. Maybe you need to go watch the story of Abby Johnson. The story of Abby Johnson is told in the movie called Unplanned. And it is a powerful story. Now, it is not for children, I will guarantee you. It treats the subject of abortion in the way I've never seen it, but it treats it truthfully and with compassion. The true story of a woman named Abby Johnson, who not only had two abortions, went to volunteer for Planned Parenthood, worked her way up the ranks and began, became the youngest director of a Planned Parenthood clinic. By her own account, she oversaw the killing of 22,000 innocent babies. And she might sit and hear a story on Esther and say, oh, oh. But Abby moved with boldness and courage. God worked on her heart through a friend that she made who is a Christian, who is a Christ follower, who prayed for Abby every day and tried to strike up a conversation there at the fence of the clinic. 
And when Abby's heart was turned like a stream of water and she repented, she sought out her friend who not only led her to Christ, but helped her tell her story and helped her lead other women away from the evil and the atrocities of Planned Parenthood. Her story has just reverberated, and until it was, it was made into a book and then it was made into a movie, it, this is a, a movie on a very low budget, but it tells such a powerful story that Hollywood can't ignore that it remains on one of the top grossing movies currently. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it because this is just like the story of Esther. That God can use anyone wherever they are in their story to make her story his story and to make his story our story. So may may we remember that God created us for a reason and for a purpose, not to be Unused, And so we need to give, give all of that to God. We need to let your mess be our message, your tragedy be your testimony, your difficulty to be your deliverance, to let your trial be his triumph. May we let God use our story. God used you and made you and created you for a reason. I mean, just think about it. God's so good the way he designed. You ever, how many of you saw the sunset last night? Wow. Did you ever know that you could take pink and purple and, and, and orange and light red and put them all together to make a thing that just makes people stop? I want to ask you this. Why did God create you? Why are you here? Not just you, but you're here living in America today. You've got a story, and he needs to use it. And there was a time, some time ago, your age plus nine months or so, where God said, you know what, I need one of you. And so he made you to live out his holy purpose. And so this morning, I want to call you like Esther to be bold and courageous, to let God use your story. You've got to show up. You got to stand up. You got to speak up. And most importantly, never give up. God's not done with you yet. And if you'll let him use your story, he will use it for your for God's glory. This morning, if you if you are in a place where you realize your story is not what it should be and you need to change, you need to repent, you need to change something in your heart and your life. Maybe God's using this moment right now to change it. But maybe, maybe you've never been to the king. Maybe you've never given your life to him. Maybe you've never obeyed him by simply having faith in Jesus, the king of kings, and being immersed into his name for the forgiveness of your sins. And this morning, if you have not been to the king, I want to invite you to do that as well. I realize it's been a full weekend, but what better way to realize that God's working in your story than to begin journeying with the king this morning. Wherever you are, lady or man, may you let God use you for such a time as this. If you need to come to the king, if you need to change your life, if you have any need of the king, let us go to him on your behalf. 
and let us help you in any way that we can as together we stand and sing.